This morning we are resuming our series in Luke, the Gospel according to Luke. Um, what is the goal of our series in Luke? Well, it's simple mission statement is simply this. It is to grow our trust in the truth of Jesus. Or to grow our trust in Jesus, period. Jesus, after all, is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the goal for, for, for this series is really to grow our trust in him. And this is the reason that Luke gives us at the beginning of why he wrote this account. We let this in the, those first four opening verses, which I'll just read for you to remind you of that. Luke starts off by saying, Luke chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning where high witnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That why? That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Dr. Rook has written this record of Jesus for a man called Theophilus, and the burden on his heart is that he wants Theo to be certain or sure of the truth of Jesus. Theo is a follower of Jesus like um, some of us or most of us here, I hope. And like all followers of Jesus, he and us needs to keep growing in trusting the truth of Jesus. Now, at the moment, we are in the second chapter of Luke. That's where we left things uh, before Christmas. What uh, Luke is doing in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is to present the evidence for the truth of Jesus. And particularly the evidence for the birth of Jesus. He is calling witness after witness to testify to the truth of Jesus. Luke is saying to Theophilus in chapter 1 and 2, here is what happened when Jesus was born. And these are the witnesses who testified about the truth of that first Christmas. And in chapter 1, Luke gives us witnesses who in some way we might say are directly related to Jesus, right? They're, they're, they're family and friends, right? First-hand witnesses, we might call them. We have Mary, the mom of Jesus. Elizabeth, a relative of Mary. Jesus' aunt, we might even say. Zechariah. The, the, the husband to Elizabeth. And of course, we have already met baby John, the, the, a relative, a cousin of Jesus, we might call him. First and close witnesses, right? And we might raise questions in our head, okay, these are too close to the action to really tell us, <laughs> to really tell us the truth, as it were. Well, look then in chapter 2, gives us independent witnesses, right? People with no skin in the game, we might say. They have no direct human relationship to Jesus. We have, of course, already heard from Gabriel in chapter 1, an independent witness. But also we now meet the angelic choir in chapter 2. The shepherds in the night. And, of course, Simeon in the temple. Right? These are credible, independent witnesses. And Simeon really stands as a prophet in the Old Testament tradition. Today we hear from a final witness in chapter 2. Uh, a woman called Anna. There are other witnesses that we might see next week. 
people were at the temple who meet baby Jesus when he's 12. But really, this is a sort of, a, we can put a name to this witness. Anna, right? Luke chapter 2, verse 36 to 38. Let's read those verses. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The key verse in this passage is verse 38, right? God has brought Anna in contact with baby Jesus. And as soon as Anna sees Jesus, she starts to give thanks to God for the gift of Jesus. Now, Luke does not tell us what Anna says, because that's not the main point. The main point here is that Luke is saying to us, Anna saw the baby Jesus, and God helped her to realize that Jesus is the one all of Israel has been waiting for as the Messiah. Not just the southern kingdom, but the northern kingdom as well. All of Israel, right? Now, why should we believe anything Anna says about baby Jesus? Why? Well, the answer is in verse 36 to verse 38, particularly 36 to 37, right? Those verses really, they are a short bio of biography of Anna. And as we read them, Luke is saying, we can trust the truth of the coming of Jesus because it is backed up by a faithful witness, a faithful, credible, independent source. The prophetess, Anna. And this is the central truth, really, Luke is teaching us in verse 36 to 38. Um, it is really teaching us there that we can trust the truth of Jesus because of its faithful witnesses. The truth of Jesus is credible. We can be confident. It is historic, it's divine, it's life-changing. Why? Because of the faithful witnesses that have delivered this truth to us, right? Now, this morning, I want us to look at two reasons, just two reasons why Anna is a faithful witness concerning Jesus and what that means for us here, living here in Bexley, dead today, as it were, or wherever you live, right? But worshiping together, how we do life together, how you live at home, how you live at work, what, does that, what, does it, what implications does that have, the fact that Anna is a faithful witness Concerning Jesus. So two reasons, right? Two reasons we can trust the faithful witness of Anna concerning Jesus. The first reason is in your outline. The first reason we can trust the witness of Anna is because God knows Anna. You know, it's a wonderful thing for you to know God. But Paul, as Paul reminds the church at Galatia, it is even more important to know that you have been known by God. To be known by God. Because Matthew 7, it tells us, isn't it? On that great day, many will say to the Lord, I knew you. And Jesus will say, no, I never knew you. That's a starting point, isn't it? So we want to be known by God. And we can trust the witness of Anna because God knows her. God knows her, of course, as a creator, but he knows her as intimately as his very own. Anna is testifying about the God who can vouch for her as one who belongs to him. She is known by God. 
You know, if your neighbor died mysteriously, right? God forbid, as, as we say, the police would be interested in interviewing everyone who knows, who knew something about the deceased, right? And we would all agree they would place more weight, right, on the neighbors and friends who knew that person first hand than those who saw the person from afar. The police would be particularly interested in talking to those whom your neighbor actually visited in their homes, not just the people uh, the neighbor met at Sainsbury's. Right? We understand that. The closeness of the person to, to the person, to the, to the issue at hand, uh, makes them more credible. And Anna is a credible independent witness concerning Jesus, uh, concerning the fact that Jesus is truly from God because God himself can vouch for Anna that she is one of his own. How do we know Anna belongs to God? Well, three things. First of all, God knows Anna conveniently. Conveniently. What I mean by that is that Anna belongs to the people of God, the covenant people of God. Look at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. You know, God cannot count us as his own people except through God first establishing some sort of covenant or binding contract that declares that we are his. Just as a man cannot know a woman intimately unless a covenant is established, and that covenant is what? Marriage. It's the same thing with our relation with God. There must be a covenant first. There must be a binding agreement. And in the Old Testament, God did this with the people of Israel. He signed a covenant with them as his only people at Mount Sinai. There were other covenants, but particularly the Sinai covenant, where God entered formally into relationship with them. In fact, the Old Testament law was given because it was part of the contract, right? It made clear that they were now God's people, and this is how they were to live before God. God knows Anna here because she belongs to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the point Luke is making. The tribe of Asher. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. We can trust her testimony because she's a true Israelite. And it's not a surprise that Anna comes from the northern kingdom. We should understand Simeon as coming from the southern kingdom. So here is now two witnesses, as it were. <clears throat> a testimony in the scripture is established on the evidence of at least two witnesses. And here we have Simeon from the southern kingdom, Anna from the northern kingdom. Together they stand as, as credible witnesses of a divided Israel. God knows Anna covenantally, and that's why we can trust her testimony. Secondly, God knows Anna personally. Personally, right? God knows her as one-on-one, -on -one, we might say. He knows her in such a way that Anna even hears God speak audibly, I think, to her, or in some way, right? She gets messages directly from God. Look at verse 36. None of us do that now. But back then they did. Look at verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna. Anna is a female prophet. She's a woman who has been appointed by God to be his spokeswoman or mouthpiece to the people of Israel. I just want you to pause and reflect on just how special that is. This is a special and rare honor in the Bible. It's not the norm. It's a rare honor. 
We can compare it to a woman today becoming a prime minister in the UK. <coughs> I mean, women are allowed to do that. Of course, it's not a perfect illustration, but you get the point. It's, it's a rare thing. We've only had three female prime ministers in British history. There are only four women in the Old Testament who are called prophetesses. Only four. Miriam, Deborah in Judges 4, Judah in 2 Kings 22, and who is the fourth one? The wife of Isaiah in Isaiah 8. In the New Testament, only Anna is explicitly called a prophetess, even though there are other women who had a gift of prophecy, which the Bible doesn't give us too much details about. We can think of the four daughters of Philip. They prophesied, but we're not sure whether they were just declaring the word or they were foretelling the future. But the point is they had some prophetic gift. But they are not called prophetesses. We should bear that in mind. And of course, Mary and Elizabeth have also prophesied concerning Jesus. And yet God has not inspired Luke to call Elizabeth a prophetess, and we shouldn't. Or to call um, um, Mary a prophetess. Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has reserved this just for Anna. And we have to ask, why is that? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? I think it is because Luke is amplifying this truth that God knows Anna in a deep, special, and personal way than anyone perhaps we've seen in the New Testament. This is a woman whom God can say, she is my woman in Jerusalem. Oh, friends, I wonder whether when God looks at you at your place of work, can he say, he is my man there. Can God say when he looks at you in the home, she's my woman in that household? Can God say when he looks at you in this church, I have a man in this church? We should long to be known that way by God. And so God looks at Anna and says, she's my woman in Jerusalem. When I want to encourage the people of Israel, challenge them, this is the person I use. There are, of course, people who perform the role of the high priest and other, other functions in Israel, teachers, who, are, who meet the biblical qualification. But God has set aside this woman for this special task. She says, when I need to get the word out, I use Anna. We can trust Anna's faithful witness because God knows her conveniently and personally. The testimony she gives about Jesus is not our own. It is straight from God. That's the point. Finally, God knows Anna graciously. Graciously. We can be, God knows her conveniently, personally, and now graciously. We can be confident God has revealed the truth of Jesus to Anna because it's not something that Anna has earned. This woman relates to God by grace. How do I know that? Well, for two reasons. First, because I don't think it is by accident that the first public witness of Jesus is called Anna. The name Anna is the Greek version of the Hebrew Hannah with an H. Right? It means grace or favor. Right? And the name Anna, therefore, is reminding us of how God deals with all his people. Grace is God's unmerited favor. God chooses to reveal himself to certain people, not because we deserve God to relate to us, but because of his grace to us. Secondly, 
this old woman, Anna, is a widow, of course, isn't it? And she has been chosen as an example of the lifting up of those in low position that Mary spoke about, right? And Simeon spoke about the rising, the falling and the rising. She's one of the rising from those of a humble estate. To the eyes of the world, Anna is an old state pensioner who most likely never had a child. She's not a net contributor to the Jerusalem economy. The world sees her as a drain on the NHS, we might say. She's just waiting to die. Nothing more. But in the eyes of the Lord, friend, in the eyes of the Lord, Anna is priceless. What a comfort to old people that the Lord always looks at them as he sees them confidently and as he sees them personally and he says to them, you are mine. Anna is priceless because God is waiting to her by grace. God in his grace has set his eyes upon her and given us given her this amazing opportunity as we see in verse 38 to feast our eyes on Jesus. To look upon his wonderful love, isn't it? He has preserved this aged widow so that she can have an unbelievable opportunity to see the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And to announce Jesus to the world. So, to sum up our first reason why we can be confident, why we can trust the truth of Jesus, uh, why we can trust it because of the faithful witness of Anna. Why? Because God knows Anna. That's the first reason we can trust Anna's witness. God knows Anna. He knows her covenantally, personally, and graciously. Oh, friend, I ask you this morning, does God know you? Does God know you? He knows you as his creature, but does he know you as his own? When God looks upon you, can he say, that young girl is mine? That young boy is mine. That young man is mine. I know him covenantally as part of my chosen people in Christ. I know him personally because as part of that covenant people, he has a personal relationship with me. And I know him by my grace. Can God say to you, can God say that about you? Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you trust in this reliable truth of Jesus? Do you, do you trust the faithful witness of Anna? Or are you still doubting Jesus? I am not asking whether you believe Jesus was born, lived, died, and rose from death. I'm asking, have you put your full weight on Jesus? Can God say, you are his? Can you say that you are once a sinner under the wrath and judgment of God, but Jesus came with that one-way love of his, he lived a perfect life for you, he died on the cross for you, and he rose from death for you, and he gave you new life by his Holy Spirit. Can you say, as you sit here this morning, I have repented of my sin, and I'm trusting in Jesus. And I'm not just saying it, my life is growing to become more like Jesus. There's evidence that the Holy Spirit truly lives in me. Well, if the answer is no, look, he's saying to you, friend, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. All the evidence you need to repent and trust in Jesus and be saved, you have heard them. There's no angels that are coming. 
There's no more messages to be received except the revealed word of God. There's nothing more to hear. And you know, God has providentially brought you in this church because this is it. To hear the gospel proclaimed to you. Don't wait for more revelation. It's not coming forth because it's already been fully revealed in the word of God. You must believe it now or perish. Believe this plain truth of Jesus. We can trust the witness of Anna because God knows Anna. He knows her conveniently, personally, and graciously. And I ask you, does God know you like that? If he doesn't, you are heading to hell and you perish forever. And even worse, you are injuring your own happiness. You are lonely, sad, and without hope in the world. Not because of the circumstances you've experienced in life, friend, as tragic as those are, but because you are refusing to receive God's solution to your life, which is a true and living relationship with God. So I plead with you, as I always do every Sunday, repent and turn to Jesus. Be saved. Look to him and be saved. The second reason we can believe the witness of Anna concerning Jesus, second and final reason you'd be happy to hear, is that we can trust the witness of Anna concerning Jesus because Anna knows God. <laughs> God knows Anna and Anna knows God. The relationship between God and Anna is a two-way relationship. You know, some people claim to know God and they talk a lot about God. You talk to them and they talk a lot about God. But when you look deep into their life, it is clear that they do not really know God. They are like a travel agent. You know, you sometimes go to a travel agent, you speak to travel agents there, and they can be so used to talking about far-off places like Lusaka even. <laughs> you ask them, have you been there? No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. But they become so used to it, you see, because they, 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 they just talk about it. And many of us are like that in church. We can talk about God all the time to our friends, what we did on Sunday, this and that, and even reading our Bible. But we don't have, we don't really know God. Anna is not like that. God's initiation of a personal and gracious, a covenantal personal and gracious relationship with her has been reciprocated by Anna. Anna has welcomed God into her life. We might say that Anna can recognize God when he's walking on the street because this is not a God she knows from a distance. This is a God she knows intimately. And look in this short bio of Anna. gives us four ways in which Anna knows God. We can be sure Anna knows God. First of all, they are there in your outline. Quickly. Let's run through them quickly. First, Anna has known God through the ups and downs of life. Oh, friend. We can be sure Anna's faith in God is not a flash in the pan. She has known God through many seasons in her life. Look at verse 36 to 37. There. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Anuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and married, and then as a widow until she was 84. Let's just stop there. Look at describe three phases in Anna's life. First, she was a young single woman. That was a season of hope. 
opportunity, discovering the world as a young woman, right? She was single. How did Anna live as a single woman? It's there. From when she was a virgin. What that is telling us is that Anna did not use her young age as an excuse to indulge in sexual sin. She kept herself pure for God and for marriage. Young, a young woman here, perhaps, who's a teenager, not yet married. Are you keeping yourself sexually pure? It's a serious question. Oh, we hear that. Oh, the church again. Just being legalistic again. Telling us, don't do this, don't do that. No, it's a serious thing. Are you living sexually pure as an unmarried woman? Have you cut out pornography as an unmarried man, and unmarried young man, as an unmarried young woman? Pornography is a big issue for young women now. Are you living sexually pure? Don't listen to what the schools is telling you that anything goes. Listen to the living word of God. Be like Anna. She kept herself pure for God and for marriage. And then by God's providence, she got married, didn't she? To her husband, probably, within probably, Anna probably got married at the age of 16 or to 18. That was a period that usually got married. And we can imagine that was a period of great blessing, isn't it? You know, some followers of Jesus, when they get married, <laughs> when they get married, their spouse and their family takes over. They've been praying for God to, to, to give them a spouse, but when they get married, that's what they do now. It's just all around family. They, 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 they arrange their life with God now around family. They stop putting God's first place. I've seen it time and time again. Oh, friends, that's not Anna. Not for Anna. How do we know? Because seven years, right, at a mere age of 23 or 25, her heart was broken by the pangs of death. Her husband died. She became a widow, a young widow. Think of that, at the age of 23, 25, a young widow, right? Some of you know that Conrad Bell's uh, son, in, in, uh, the preacher, his son died very young. And we all had broken better when we saw the story for his widow. It was just about 30, I think, right? We recognized, wow, a widow at 30. Anna became a widow at 23, 25. Very tragic as well. Now, if Anna had forgotten God, listen to me carefully, this is the point I'm coming, I'm making, don't miss it. If, God, if Anna had forgotten God during her seven years of marriage, do you get me? She would, not have, uh, she would not have a bio in the Bible. Why? Because when she faced such a huge tragedy now, as a young widow, well, she would have just become even more godless. When most people experience suffering like Anna is experienced, they wallow in self-pity. I've seen it. They wallow in bitterness. They become reckless and even rebellious against God. But Anna, who put God first in as a teenager, and then God first in her marriage, she grew more in faith as she became a widow. And I've seen it as well for people. Widowhood propels their faith. They are strengthened through affliction. And we see that for Anna here, she lived as a widow for the next six 
decades until we meet her in the temple at the age of 84. And it's even possible by some rendering we meet her at the age of 107. Depending on how you read that footnote, right? 84, 87, doesn't matter. The point is, deep suffering could have uprooted Anna's faith in God, but instead it sent her roots deeper into the soil of faith. Her suffering made her more reliant on God, not less. And this is the point Luke wants us to get. We can trust the witness of Anna about Jesus because she has a proven CV of growing faithfulness to God. This is a woman of God who grew with every challenge. Oh, friends, are you prone to doubt Jesus? Are you prone to doubt Jesus? We all experience doubts about things of God from time to time. This is why we sin, isn't it? All sin is rooted in doubting God. Let this testimony of this proven and tested woman of God chase away your doubts about Jesus. Jesus is truly who he says he is. Keep trusting him. Anna trusted the God of Jesus through our affliction. And the way we show we are truly trusting in Jesus is just that. By learning from Anna to keep our focus on God no matter our circumstances in life. I was thinking about this. All of us are prone to delude ourselves. What do I mean by that? We often think we struggle to live for God because of the situation we're in. And you know what we do? We blame God for the situation. We do it quietly. We say things like this to ourselves. It's hard now, man. It's hard now. I will start serving God when my situation changes. Right now, I cannot pray as I want. I cannot share the gospel as I want. It's just tough. I just don't have time. I'm just in that season. Or sometimes we say this, don't we? When I am married, I will be on fire for God. (laughs) You've heard that, isn't it? You've heard that before. I've heard that many times. When I'm, right now, it's just synchronous. Oh, brother, synchronous is so hard. I just, I can't wait to be married. Because when I'm married, I, well, no sexual temptations, no, no, that. I can just live for God, enjoy marriage, and be on fire for him. Or sometimes people say this. He says, look, I just can't give. I can't, I can't, I can't live, I can't give to God faithfully. Right? They say that. When God gives me a job, a wonderful, a better job, better income, then at least then I'll be able to. Give God what belongs to him. Some people say this. When I retire, <laughs> it's difficult work. Oh, nine to five is hard. There are no people for me to disciple at work. Work is against me. I can't disciple them. So when I retire, <clears throat> I'll start discipling other people. What are we doing with those excuses? What we're doing with those excuses is that we are not recognizing the circumstances of life are presenting new opportunities for us to serve, whatever those are. And now how are we going to serve in one season going to look very different, but we have to live for God. But see, what we do is we are blaming God. Our excuses are blaming God. We are saying that he has made it impossible for us to do what he commands us to do. You know how God does? Oh, friend, our God is gracious, isn't it? God is gracious. What do I mean by that? Well, what God does is, you see... <laughs> It gives us what we ask for. 
You're saying I can't live faithfully for God until I get married. Okay, great. God gives you a husband. Or he gives you a wife. You say, you, 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 you want to give more, right? Uh, when God, you want to live more sacrificially when God gives you a job, which is Bill Gates standard, right? Well, God in his problem might not give you Bill Gates' job, but he gives you a good job, right? Enough more than you had, right? And he does this time and time again. He answers our prayers. But you know what happens? Nothing. We never become better at serving God. We never become better. What happens is that in that new situation God places us in, we just find new excuses to live, to not live for God. I have never seen a person tell me they're going to be live for God more, and the time arrives, God gives them that thing, and they're actually doing that. Come and correct me afterwards. I just never seen it. And there's a reason for that. God gives us that thing because God wants to expose our selfishness. He wants to expose our sin. He wants to remind us the problem is not our circumstances. The changes and circumstances of life are normal. Your struggle with singleness is normal. Your struggle in your current marriage with this difficult is normal. Your affliction is normal. The issue is not your circumstances. It's not external to you. The issue is internal to you. It's in your heart. The real you, right, is the issue. The issue is you, are, you and I are prone to want to live for ourselves. But Anna is showing us, no, let us be faithful at every stage of life God has placed us in. And the key to that is to have a deep relationship with God as Anna has. I don't know what your situation today, friend. But I know your external circumstances. The people around you are not the problem. It's your heart. And if you're a true believer, in whatever station of life God has placed you, I'm not saying all of us are going to do the same thing. Just hear me right. Be faithful where God has placed you. Now. And that's going to look very differently for a young person at school as it will look for somebody lying paralyzed uh, in a hospital. But in both cases, God is looking for faithfulness. A paralyzed person in the hospital, God is looking for prayers, sighs, longing for God, interceding for the church, living for God in that paralyzed situation, working through prayer lists, praying for people. A young person, God is looking for you to be sharing the gospel at your, at your school. Talk to the teacher about the gospel. You have such opportunity. Start discipling your non-believing teacher. This morning, can I aid you then to resolve deluding yourself. Tell God the honest truth. Tell him your heart is cold. That's the issue. Tell him you desperately need him. Tell him, cry out to him to use you in that situation. Anna knew God through ups and downs. And we need, if if we're going to be faithful witnesses like Anna, we need to know God through ups and downs. Secondly, and I'll move quickly here, Anna knows God, not only through ups and downs, we see that Anna knows God with his people. Oh, friend, that is so important. Anna's faith in God is a real thing because she shows her love for God by being with his people. Look at verse 37 there, the second part. And she did not depart from the temple, worshipping 
with fasting and prayer night and day. But just notice that she did not depart from the temple, my friend. Anna has spent her life among the people of God. Her faith grows. Why? Because she never misses going to church on Sunday. Unless she can't really make it physically. She's there. Some people think that Anna was given quarters within the temple. That's possible. But I think, given verse 38 says, coming up, as it were, the movement, it shows that Anna actually just made this movement. She probably lived near the temple. And she kept coming in. Morning, by the way, the night and day really is, I think, is signifying the pattern of the temple like we have it in the church here. Why do we meet morning and evening? Well, because in the Old Testament, the sacrifice was morning and evening. And so Anna came in morning and evening, right? My point is, she was committed. Anna is not just a member of the covenant people on paper. She's a true Israelite because she's devoted to the gathered worship of God. Anna knows God not as a solo project, but with his people. Luke is saying we can trust the, the witness of Anna concerning Jesus because she knows God with his people. The, the, the people of God can vouch for Anna as one of their own. This is a credible witness to Israel because she's not only a true Israelite covenantally, she's a true Israelite spiritually. This testimony of Anna is not from a lone ranger. It is from a woman publicly known as a member of Grace Baptist Church Jerusalem, we might say. She is known by, at the temple. Again, this example of Anna is showing us how we grow in trusting the truth of Jesus. How do we grow? How can we be with Anna, like, like Anna, through ups and downs? Well, the answer is we grow in living for God by prioritizing gathering with his people. Oh, friends, I just want to draw your attention to this text afresh. Have you noticed that before Luke mentions about Anna's private prayer life, he first mentions her commitment to public worship? Did you notice the order there? She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and, and prayer night and day. I think the night and day is still the temple movement, but I think there's a sense there also that she's worshipping God privately. But that comes after our commitment to temple gathering. That's the point I'm making. Anna is committed to public worship. Why? Why is she committed to public worship? Well, hopefully it's obvious to you. But first, public worship... Listen to me, public worship is more important than private worship. It is. God's vision is to have a people who worship him, not individuals. Doing their own thing. It's important to have a private prayer life, but it's even more important to have a public prayer life together with the people of God. Because the plan of God for human history is that one day, all those he has served in Jesus will gather together physically to worship the Lord God. We see that in Revelation 7. So it's important for that because public worship is more important than private worship. Secondly, if you want to grow privately, you need public worship. That's the order we see this with Anna, isn't it? Public worship is a fuel for private worship. We gather on Sunday to scatter during the week. We gather and scatter. We gather and scatter, right? It's, it's a bit like half time, isn't it? We are here for half time and then the match during the week, right? But we are looking forward to being renewed every Sunday. Sunday is a high point of the week because it's where we get the resources. We are gathering and scattering. Now, if you haven't been gathering, you remain very, very scattered and 
and at the mercy of Satan and his principalities and powers. But as you gather, you are in the presence of Jesus because he has said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. It is a church when the church gathers, that's when it actually becomes the body. In fact, I would argue that's when it becomes the church as it gathers, as we are gathered. As we gather every morning, Jesus is spiritually present among us. And he's here in a more special way than he is with us just on our own. And as we meet, he renews us, as I said, through his strength and the means of grace. And that in turn fuels us to live for God for the rest of the week. Friends, do you value the gathered worship of the saints like Anna? If we are honest, most of us do not have a drive and desire to commit to worship like Anna. As I looked at Anna's example, it crushed me. Because we are often not like this. And there are many reasons for that. A difficult week can ruin our commitment to gather morning and evening to worship. It can. We have a poor Saturday, so we come into Sunday. If we get into church on, on time, on a Sunday morning, yeah, that's okay. Evening is out. That's for me, not for God. It's the Lord's morning, not the Lord's day. That's how we live. So the pressures of life can make us become like that. Sometimes, of course, gathering for worship is hard because of the nature of the worship itself just doesn't wow our flesh. (laughs) Oh, friend, let's be honest. Our worship, even for us here, can be frustrating sometimes. And there I say it can even be boring. Come on, admit it. It's all right. You've come here and you know I was a bit boring, the sermon today. A bit boring, the worship. Just, it was quite boring. Can't be. Gathered worship can feel hard. But friends, can I just remind you? We don't read here that Anna is at the temple regularly because they have a good worship band. We don't read here that Anna is at the temple because they have got good coffee and biscuits. We don't read that Anna is at the temple because the preacher is really great and has a large YouTube following. No. Anna is at the temple because she knows the Ten Commandments. She knows to gather for worship that God commands. And I'm not thinking of the Sabbath day of worship because remember, it's night and day. It's there every day. Morning and evening sacrifice. I'm thinking here of the first two commandments. You shall worship the Lord your God and him alone, isn't it? The command of God to gather with his people and his promise to be present with them is enough for Anna to go to church. Oh, friend, I ask you this morning, is it enough for you? Is it enough for you that Jesus is present here as we gather? And if your honest answer is, it's not enough for me, then you must ask yourself, why is that? Why is that? This morning, let us repent of failing to be like Anna. Oh, friend, it's a new year, new priorities. Stop, let's stop giving excuses we gave in 2023. I love the time of season. It's a time to start afresh with commitment to worship Him. Morning and evening, midweek if you can, if the Lord enables you. And the prayer meeting, of course, there at 1 p.m. if you can. 
But be intentional. Humble yourself before God. And in due season, He will lift you up. Let us ask God to enable us to gather to worship with His people, regardless of our situation. So, Anna knows God <clears throat> through ups and downs with His people. And, and thirdly, and I'll move through this quickly, with prayerful devotion. With prayerful devotion to God. Anna knows God with prayerful devotion to God. Anna loves to hear God talk to her at the temple. And she loves talking to God privately. Look at verse 37 again. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer, night and day. Oh, friends. Anna seeks God in prayer wholeheartedly to such an extent that she has disciplined herself from food so she can seek the face of God. Anna does fasting. A strange thing for many of us. So we have to explain what fasting is, isn't it? Fasting is praying to... This is how I define fasting. What is fasting? Fasting is praying to God with our bodies. When we fast, we are saying to God, Lord, this issue needs my whole focus on you, mind, body, and soul. Lord, I want to talk to you not just with my words, but I want my whole body to cry out to you. I want to do this fully conscious that I'm doing it. That's what fasting is. We abstain from food for a season so that we can focus on him. And there are other forms of fasting, but I think I stick to the biblical one, which is abstaining from food. Right? Why invent your own type of fast? I mean, that digital fast, what's that? That's, 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 that's fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth degree applications. No, no, no. Stick to the immediate application. Right? What Anna is doing. She's a great woman of God. A great woman of prayerful devotion to God. She's a woman who denies herself to grow deeper. Oh, friend, I was so cut by this. Anna is fasting at the age of 84. Wow. And we need to check with our GP and all that, if you are that age. But the point is, I was still challenged by that. I'm not saying start fasting in your 80s or whatever. But check with the GP and seek the face of God, as it were. Do it wisely. But for some of us, we don't have that excuse. If I'm a fast at 84, what about us? Because that's the issue, isn't it? We'll come to that in a moment. The point is, this old woman of God... Does not just fast. Notice she prays night and day in this season of life where she has no children and no husband to look after. Welcome those seasons when you don't have those, those, those challenges. The time will come when you, you won't be able to fast, right? Easily, because you've got a little one running around and you, have to, you need enough energy and all that. But you, you, you are in a situation where you don't have a child. Oh, embrace that, beloved. Embrace that. Anna has taken this, the, 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 the fact that she has no child and no husband to look after, as a gift from God. <clears throat> We've already talked about that she's not wallowing in, in that situation. No, no. She's taking it as a gift from God. And, and she's in her new singleness as a widow. It's wonderful. She, she gives herself to, to talk constantly to God, to seek his face day and night. What a woman of God, beloved. What a woman of God. You know, it is fitting that Luke tells us she's the daughter of Fanuel. What does the word Fanuel mean? It means face of God. Face of God. Why? Anna knows the face of God. She seeks the face of God. See, all these verses, we can be there all day, actually, I just said. There's so much here in this passage. Because as we meditate on Anna, we see just how devoted she is. We can trust the witness of Anna concerning Jesus because no one is more qualified than this woman of God who has such an intimate relationship with God to tell us that Jesus is from God. 
We can trust Anna's testimony. Let's not doubt Jesus. We can trust Jesus because of the weakness of Anna. Again, this example of Anna is showing us just how we are to grow, isn't it? In trusting Jesus, we grow in living for Jesus by being fervent in prayer and fasting. That's the point I was getting at. As I said, we have an old woman here who could give this as an excuse, but no. She's putting in the fasting hours. She's full of self-denial. She's giving herself to prayer. She values being in the presence of God. What about you, beloved? What about you this morning? You're not even 40 yet. Not even 60 yet. You're not even near the age of retirement. How is your public and private prayer life as a woman? How is it? And as a man. And let's get a bit personal, isn't it? How is your private fasting going? Oh, friend. I must say this question filled me with shame. It filled me with shame. Fasting, we're seeing here, is meant to be an ordinary part of the Christian life. But very few of us do it. We are happy to do a fast diet. I've been on one of those. I'm not on one at the moment, but I've been on one. Oh, we are happy to fast for worldly gain, but not for God. Friends, join me in asking God to help us lose our spiritual weight in 2024. Not simply our physical weight. We need to invest in what doesn't perish. Let us get fasting in 2024. You know, when I didn't call a fast for the church, no one complained last year. No one, what a shame. We fasted the year before, but no one complained. No one missed it. I hope this year is going to be different. Who fast as individuals, and you'll be knocking on my door. No, this church is unacceptable that we can't fast as a church together. We must seek the face of God. Finally, and I'll end. Anna knows God. We can be here all day, but Anna knows God centered on Christ. And that's really what I was what we were aiming for at the end of this, isn't it? Anna's faith in God as one key focus, it's Christ-centered. She has been waiting for Christ. For the coming of Christ. Look at verse 38. We've already touched on it. And I'll just be brief. And coming up at that very hour. She began to give thanks to God. And to speak of him. To all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What Luke is saying is that Anna is part of a group of people in Israel. That includes Simeon. Who have been waiting for Christ to come and serve them. Anna has placed her hope in Christ. Not in herself or anyone in the world. Like Simeon, she believes salvation is from God and it must come through God's man, the Christ. And she believes now she has seen this promised Messiah. Anna is a Christ-centered believer. She trusts in the promises of God and this Christ. And that is why as soon as Anna sees baby Jesus, what does she do? She's so full of praise and she thanks God for the wonderful gift of Jesus. And of course, immediately she starts telling others about him. Oh, friends, we can trust the witness of Anna because this is a witness from the heart. She's seen God in the flesh and she's moved by it. Anna is like the shepherds, isn't she? She tells us about Jesus because the glory of Christ has overwhelmed her. Has the glory of Christ overwhelmed you? 
Is your faith in God centered on the Lord Jesus Christ? Does the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ make your heart sing? Does it warm your heart like Anna? When we are truly trusting in Jesus, our lives are filled with praise to God for Jesus. Even in the middle of affliction, we are, and we are moved to use every moment to tell other people about him. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, Jesus. To all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Oh my friends, think about this. Anna is, as we come to an end, Anna is giving thanks for Jesus. And telling people about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? The Jesus she's talking about is only 40 days old. He's a baby at this point. Now, if Anna told others about Jesus when she only saw him as a baby, how much more you, my friend, who has seen the Lord Jesus Christ crucified for your sins? How much more you who have seen Jesus defeat death for you? How much more you who knows, as our brother Rob prayed, that Jesus will appear any moment with glory and power to reign with us? Anna looked forward. You can look back with more certainty. Oh, friends, this morning, ask God the Holy Spirit then to grow your heart to trust in the truth of Jesus, in Jesus, so that you can grow to know God as Anna knew God. Two reasons we've seen to trust the truth of Jesus. One, God knows Anna. God knows his people, knows his weakness. And secondly, Anna knows God. Anna has known God through ups and downs with his people, with prayerful devotion and centered on Christ. Well, may the Lord enable us to grow in trusting Jesus and to follow the faithful example of this woman of God, Anna, in our life and witness for Jesus. Amen.